scrolling. How many of you are uncomfortable that you're sitting around looking at people right now? Okay, thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Any others? Thanks. All right. Uh, Let us go ahead and pray and get rolling. Tonight, we're going to be looking at roles and relationships. Responsibilities. Roles and responsibilities. (laughs) For example, my role was to know what the topic was tonight, and I didn't know it. My role is to try to monitor Jimmy the best I can. So, we'll be doing roles and responsibilities tonight. And this causes more conflict than even our big three. Which, by the way, uh, you know, it was conflict resolution was number one at 94%, and then followed by communication and sex at 92% is the biggest problems. Communication and sex caught up. It's all 94 now. 94, 94, 94. Yeah. Statistically, that's fascinating. (laughs) That kind of. But let us go ahead and pray, and then we will uh, get rolling. So pray with me. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit inundate this place tonight. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege, this amazing opportunity that you give us to come together and gather as a family. And I know there's so much going on in our homes, in our work, with our kids. But Father, tonight, if we could just zone in to what you would have us to hear tonight. And Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us and that we learn from each other tonight. You know, there is not a perfect marriage in this room, not one that's even close to a perfect marriage. And we know for absolute certainty that Satan is attacking our marriages harder than ever before, ever, period. That's not even debatable. So, Father, we know that the adversary is is working in the midst of our marriage relationship to bring up anger and discord and resentment. We know that's happening. So, Father, tonight I just want your spirit to open a door. Let us see a light to a better place, a different way of doing this relationship that you've given us. And, Father, I do pray that our marriages will be our strongest witness. That people will look at our homes, they'll look at our marriages and say, I don't know what they're drinking, but I want some of that. Father, I pray tonight again that you would allow us to focus and that we'll leave here different than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you all give a big thank you to Patrick and Megan? They're back running our tech for us. And we appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Because they got kind of recruited at the very last possible second. Yeah. yeah and really, yeah. the only thing you were asked to do was turn these monitors on, and, and they're not on. So. Okay. You did a great job on everything else. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> Jimmy and I were talking about, as we were preparing for this class, he and Beth have been married about 10 years longer than Mike and I have. You guys have been around 35. 35. Okay. Mike and I are 26. And then my youngest brother and his wife have been married about 10 years younger than Mike and I. And... I find it fascinating that this is really a changing conversation, this roles and responsibilities conversation. Jimmy said, hey, I'll follow the sword. I'll, I'll tell a story about myself when it came to certain roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Go ahead with that one. Yeah. Um, even though um, I'm a minister and a therapist, and our marriage, I said there was no perfect marriages, but ours is so close that you know it's virtually not even worth bringing up. 
But Beth and I, if we would have been armed this week, neither one of us would be present. <laughs> we would have taken each other out. After 35 years, and she's my best friend, I mean, just a marriage that I couldn't have even dreamt about the day I turned 20, which was the day we got married. And we went at each other, veins bulging. And <laughs> keeping in mind, being a therapist, I don't yell. Um, just talk. But I had a fervent discussion with Beth about what she was angry at me about. And bottom line, I had to agree with her. And I hate that. <laughs> but I come from an old, I know I look really young, but I come from an old school where if you, re, remember, most of you don't even remember All in the Family. But do you remember Edith Bunker? Any of you? That didn't even make Nick at Night, did it, for most of you in this room. But, <laughs> but she would just go, oh, Archie. And she would just run, bring him a beer. And she would run, bring him his dinner at a TV table thing in front of his lap. You know, she just ran and waited on him hand and foot. That was my mother. And so growing up, I learned the roles and the responsibilities of married people. Dads, husbands, sit in recliners, they watch sports, and they get waited on. And I said, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that Y chromosome. I don't, I don't thank you often enough. <laughs> so I grew up, that was my model. And so when I got, <laughs> when I got married, I learned that not everyone grew up with that model. Uh, Beth's dad was different. He cooked dinners, you know, and he would vacuum floors, which was completely an alien concept to me. And so we have had this running battle, and I get 30, going to be 36 years in a couple of months. And I still will, without thinking, I don't look at the kitchen and go, nah, I just come in knowing full well that the kitchen is dirty, and I'll just go sit down, click, and start watching TV. Because that's what females are for. That's more of an internal thing. I don't ever say it. But I do even now, and I'm getting better. I'm getting better at going, how do I make sure that Beth feels loved by me today? I'm gonna go clean the kitchen. You know, I'm gonna go do, I, she, hers is acts of service. So I'm definitely getting better. But the other night, I did it again. Without thought, I did it. And that comes from a family of origin. Mm -hmm. Tapes that were taped in me before I knew I had a tape recorder on my inside. <laughs> and so it impacts us no matter what you would think after 35. We're talking we're approaching half a freaking century. <laughs> and I still don't get it right. So it, no matter where you are in this process, it's going to be a battle. You know, so Mike and I married about 10 years later. My mom and dad had what we would probably refer to now as traditional roles. My dad worked outside the home, and he took care of the yard and the cars. And my mom stayed home with us, which meant she took care of anything that was inside the walls of the house. And that was just kind of how the roles went. One of the first times I went home with Mike, it was Thanksgiving, and I was getting to know his family, and I walked downstairs one morning as we were preparing to go to church with his parents, and I saw one of the most unbelievably gorgeous things I had ever seen in my life. 
and it was the man who was going to become my father-in-law eventually, he was ironing. It was just beautiful. His masculine form moving that iron over his shirt. And then he pressed the woman's blouse, the woman who would become my mother-in-law. And I fell in love immediately. I told everyone that I fell in love with my father-in-law first and figured out that the son was the closest thing I could get to it. Later that day, he blew me away again. He washed dishes and no one asked him. And he knew where things in the kitchen were. He even knew where the can opener was. And I thought, I've got to marry this guy's son because this is the most magical thing I've ever seen. I just, I'm just amazed by this. But the thing with Mike Carr is Mike Carr was fantastic at talking people into doing things for him, particularly young ladies who wanted to date him. So by the time I took him on, he had just had a series of girlfriends who had done laundry and kept the dorm room kind of picked up and ran little errands, and not because Mike was a jerk. They were just willing to go help Mike live his life in any way possible, just to kind of hang out and look at his teeth. And so I kind of walked into a practice that was already in place. Now the odd thing for Mike and I, kind of straddling these two generations in a strange way. Mike did not want a traditional marriage. Y'all have heard me talk about that before, that this whole eight kid thing and all that was really never in the 10-year plan. Mike wanted a very driven, career-oriented woman. I was in radio and television at the time. He was like, great, we're going to be like business partners, and we're just going to, it's not going to be this kind of mamby-pamby little house on the prairie thing. We're going to be like partners, partners, partners which was very true except for when we would get back to our cute little apartment. And then it just like went medieval. I mean, it just, you know, resorted to, well, is the laundry done? Did you buy groceries? Is the kit, what about the kitchen? It has taken us quite a while to get into the vein because he has that sort of chore blindness that comes over him and he's getting way better. And he wants our sons to be chore way better. Blindness. Chore blindness, I love that. Thank you, I just came up, hashtag chore blindness right now. Everybody get out your social media. I'm going to use that. Okay. That's great. 0 0.01 penny per royalty. There you go. Chore blindness. And it took a lot for me to disassociate irritation with it and really understand he really wasn't seeing it. Now, the thing that kind of gets Mike in trouble is my brothers, who were raised in the same marriage I was, which was that traditional and dad goes to work and mom's home and therefore this is your kingdom and this is your kingdom, but somehow, my two brothers ended up as ironing, cooking, grocery shopping, baby burping, diaper changing fools. I don't know what happened. And my sister-in-laws seem kind of blind to how unusual that is. So the brother who's been married about 10 years less than Mike and I, it's amazing to me the level to which he is involved. So when Mike and I made this transition to me working a whole lot more and the eight kid thing, we had a lot of stuff that we had to sort out. But what I found, I found some really interesting statistics about what's going on. Megan, you can hit the first one in this new generation for us. So on a typical day, nearly half of women will do housework, but just 20% of men will do the same. And women put in more time in scrubbing the toilet or doing the laundry, three more hours each week than men. Men carve out three more hours of leisure time. Oh, we're back to that topic from last week. Even mothers who work full-time will still put in a week and a half's worth more time on household tasks than their male partners each year. <laughs> I love the guilty laugh. Okay, well, let's go to the next one. So 
what I, I found this particular survey with Pew, P-E-W, it was a, a, the Pew survey, mm -hmm. and it was looking at roles and responsibilities within marriage. And one of the tools that becomes really important as we begin to decide within each of our relationships what the roles and responsibilities are going to be is to be willing to cut off the assumption that there's a certain way to do these roles and responsibilities when it comes to things like work, kids, house. I know we like to think that there's some biblical mandate on those things. There are biblical mandates on other responsibilities for husbands and wives. But when it comes to a division of labor, there's really not. We can find examples of women who worked, who worked quite a bit, who had industries that they ran from their home. We can find different ideas of who was raising who and who was helping bring up kids and what all was going on. Even when we look in the first chapter of Titus and we look in the second chapter of Titus, men who are called to leadership in the church are also tasked with raising kids who are obedient, with offering hospitality. This is guys. And then we read Titus 2 that talks about making sure that women know how to run a home and take care of kids and love their husbands well. But when you really look at those tasks and role lists, they're not all that different when it comes to chores and responsibilities in terms of running life. And so remember that your spouse is your partner, not your parent. Don't expect them to clean up after you and cut your meat for you. And perhaps your parent did that when you were a child, but now you're in a partnership. And it's important to take a look at what that means. Those are conversations a lot of us have just never had. And then we resent when somebody just has chore blindness and doesn't see what we're up to. Can you hit the next slide, Megan? Men spent 18% of their time doing housework and took on 33% of household tasks, whereas women spent 22% of their time on housework and carried out 67% of the household tasks. Women performed over twice the number of tasks and assumed the burden of mental labor or invisible work which is the planning and coordination of tasks. How many of you guys have been involved in planning a three-year-old's birthday party? <laughs> Mari, Virgil, I'm very proud of you guys. Well, but I mean, you just call Hooters and set up a party. <laughs> Isn't that what? Okay. One of those, yeah, it's just like that. Moreover, leisure was most frequent for fathers at 30%, children 39%, and least frequent for mothers at 22%. Now, here's the good news. These numbers are way better than they were 10 years ago. So what's very fascinating in looking at this is at first blush you can go, holy smokes. But the good news is we do see things beginning to co-align to co a little bit better. Go on to the next one, Megan. And so then we're going to have Jimmy dig into some of these things that are coming up. But there's another slide, Megan, that has like a graphic. I think it's the last one, and then we'll come back to this one. The very last slide has a graphic. Now here's what's fascinating. Okay, we just said that the gals are still taking on a whole lot of the elbow grease dirty work, right? But here's what I thought was really fascinating, and this will lead into what Jimmy wants to talk about when it comes to roles and responsibilities. Who's making the decisions at the home? Well, it's the woman. She's still making 43% of the decisions, and that's on where we're going to be having weekend activities and buying things for the home and deciding what we're going to watch on TV and managing household finances. So what I find fascinating at this point is that we've got women who are still doing a lot of what some of us would call more the menial labor, the hands-on labor, the raising of kids, the keeping of the house, and those kind of things. And yet there's also a power that's a little bit inequitable involved in that because women are making more of the decisions in the home. Now again, these statistics actually look better than stats from about 10 to 15 years ago. Things are becoming more equitable when you see this 31% of couples equally dividing decisions and making decisions together. But what it does tell me is particularly for those of us who've been married 
15, 20 years, we may, have, we may have not had a real constructive conversation, a real let's sit down at the business table and figure out who's going to do what and what makes sense for who to do whatever. I don't know that we've been having those conversations. And then when you have a shift in season of life, for example, me going back to work full-time plus, for example, maybe a husband deciding to come home and do something different, perhaps it is that kid leaves for school and you've been at home all this time but now your kids are out of the nest, what are those things going to look like? What are those roles and responsibilities going to look like? We, it's a conversation we need to keep having to make sure that we're partners and not just kind of having an expectation somebody will parent our mess, that we're partners in this thing and we can evenly figure out what we need to do, evenly take care of what's going on. Now, that kind of talks about chores and parenting and the house and who's going to change the oil. But there's another aspect to yep. roles and responsibilities that taps into our spiritual lives. And really, real quickly, <clears throat> back on the responsibilities, when you look at this traditional, these traditional roles versus more progressive roles or, you know, more kind of modern roles, sometimes it's, it's as much the ladies as the, as the men. Mm -hmm. The lady will say, no, it is my job. It is my job to vacuum every floor. It is my, that's what I do. This is, however, for, for guys, and it, you know, it's one thing if, if maybe a lady doesn't, you know, doesn't work and she's able to stay home and raise the kids, but the thought of the guy is, well, you're home all day. Why can't you get all this stuff done? Uh, and granted, most of the time they don't spend 18 hours, you know, with little kids. However, you know, if, if someone's not working full time, taking more of the responsibility at home, all that makes very much sense. And when you're making decisions together, you work that out, great. But guys, whether your wife is complaining about it or not, because most of our wives do work, most do. In our country today, most wives work. So whether they're complaining or not, whether they just think, oh, well, this is simply my cross to bear, that I'm going to have to not only work full-time and take care of the kids, and I'm going to have to do the vast majority of the work in the house, and, and the husband is just going to mow the lawn or what, and take care of the cars you know, or whatever. Whether she's complaining or not, we need to take a cold, hard look at what we're doing uh, and whether we can sit down and talk with her about how we can help. Because most of us know that when you hit the, the kids in the small, you know, they're kind of smaller kids and all that stuff, you know, our sex lives just tank. And most of it's because our wives are simply comatose. Uh, they are so exhausted from taking care of kids and working full-time or part-time, plus doing everything at the house. And then, you know, we turn on a little Barry White and slap them in the rear. And we're shocked that they're not receptive. So, yeah, again, it just takes the thing that we're worst at, which is communication, which we'll talk about. <laughs> now then, moving on to, to other roles, specifically the role of leader in the home, um, spiritual leader in the home. Um, well, I wouldn't have thought that would be the first one. Um, okay, we'll make it work. You know your pay's getting docked, right? Okay, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's fine. When we talk about spiritual roles in the family. This is another, oddly enough, a pretty strong point of contention with a lot of people. 
because many of us were raised in, in much more of a patriarchal church where the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. He is the God-appointed leader of the home. Therefore, you, woman, and all the children will simply kowtow to my every demand because Christ wants it that way. And if you don't like it, well, you've got a problem with Jesus, don't you? You laugh. I've had so many of those guys in my office. So first, let us look at, you know, kind of what spiritual leadership is and what spiritual leadership is not. You know, what, what we find, and the only thing, and some of y'all who have been with me before know this is one of my pet peeves, is when we see scripturally, um, you know, Jesus address leadership, it is right when, you know, they're saying, well, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and, he's, and he's just thinking, wow, I guess I'm just going to have to start. <laughs> I'm Charlie Strong. Well, I guess we're just going to have to start over. Because apparently <laughs> they're not getting this. And so what does he do? He strips off naked and he washes his disciples' feet. Now, most of y'all know this because most of y'all have been in church since nine months before you were born. But we know that the lowest of the low slaves, not just any slave, but you had to be like the lowest on the totem pole of the slaves to get the foot washing duties. Now, that was, I mean, slaves didn't even want to do that. And so he did that to demonstrate the first will be what? Last. And the last will be first. And so he gave this example of what leadership is. That leadership is service. If you have to tell someone in your family that you're the spiritual leader in the home, you're not. If it requires you to verbalize it, it ain't happening. You're a leader if someone's following you. If no one's following you, then you're not a leader. And maybe it's because, and, and people who are in leadership all the time get this. You just don't tell people what to do and then get angry if they don't do it. What do you want to do? I mean, those of you that have leadership positions at work, you want to cast what? You want to cast a vision. And you want people to you know, gather around your vision and share your vision. And then you go together in this one direction, all pulling the same way. That's what you want. As the spiritual leader of the home, and I think un unequivocally, you know, that's, you know that is thrown to, to the husband in the home. I mean, it would be so great, especially in this day and time, if we could play like those passages were not in the Bible, but they are. But what does that mean? That means that the husband, as the spiritual leader of the home, is washing his wife's feet. He's washing his children's feet. He is serving his family. And in serving them, he leads them. And as he leads them through service, they follow. So we sometimes get really a misconception about what this role of spiritual leader is and what it means to follow. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're not the husband... In this relationship, well, what does it mean to follow? Does that mean that you just simply kowtow and just say, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, whatever you want to do. As though you don't have a brain? 
That's what always shocked me about growing up Southern Baptist. Um, about the, especially years and decades ago, the limitation on women. It was as though God could not speak to or through a female. And I just kept like, have y'all read Beth Moore? Are y'all saying that the Holy Spirit is not just all up in that? You know, our patriarchal society, we tend to look at, we tend to read the scripture. Well, this is just true of counseling and just in general. We see what we want to see and we hear what we want to hear. We see what we expect to see and we hear what we expect to hear. And so when you have these, you know, these guys and when they read the Bible and it says women should be silent in the church, uh, (laughs) there it is. There it is. Now for all time, we can pick that verse out and prove those women wrong. But they do such a horrible job of exegeting that passage when it had to do some, with some real troublemaker women at the church at Corinth who were just disrupting things. And they said they're going to to be silent. Because earlier in, that, early in the book, he talks about when they pray in public, they should cover their head. Well, wait a minute. If you said they can't say anything, then why are you instructing them on how they should pray in public. So he was obviously not saying that they can't speak, but men just jumped on that. So guys, treasure your wife's spiritual IQ. Treasure her spiritual connection with God. Because I think God has spoken to me personally through Beth more than any other way ever. I trust her in her walk with the Lord more than I trust mine. So it's a, it, it's a team thing. You know, being a leader is not the grand poobah. And again, you guys are here. You want to work on your marriages. I know I'm probably, you know, speaking to the choir or preaching to the choir. And yet, it's still an issue. Now, ladies would say, what do I do if my husband refuses to lead? I mean, what do we do there? I would love for him to take the spiritual lead in our home. He just refuses to do it. Well, here's something that probably doesn't work. Criticizing and belittling him for being a rotten believer. That's probably not going to motivate him. You remember Egrich says, you know, if we want our spouse to love us more, we should not take a stick and poke him in the eye until they love us more. So, do we include them in our spiritual thoughts and discussions? Do we ask their opinions? Do we seek their thoughts on spiritual matters? You know, we nurture that. Because there's a lot of guys that, that don't feel comfortable being mandated to take that role. And so, but it's, <laughs> I think everything we're going to talk about is going to boil down to communication and conflict resolution. <laughs> because so many of these other problems are just symptoms of that big problem, not being able to simply talk about things. So, on your tables, we've got some speaking of talking about things. We're going to talk about, oh, and before we do that, though, uh, there's still a good number of you that have not taken the assessment. Now, you could be afraid to take the assessment, and I understand that. Uh, The swelling in my left eye has gone down (laughs) since uh, Beth saw the way that I scored our marriage. 
And I, I understand that. But as we move forward, here in just a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be using those assessments. And you're going to be that little child that's left out without a toy if you don't have one for your very own. So explain how, one more time, how they can get on and get it done. And I'm going to email y'all so that you have this information again. But you will go to couplecheckup.com and you will put in that you want to take the assessment. And there will be a place where you can say, yes, I'm part of a group. And I'm going to send you that number again. And so you can put that number into that group setting. Now, again, this will not give your name and it won't give your address and it won't give your phone number to us. Okay? You can look at, the, you can look at what they've compiled for us and there's no names on there. But what it will do will be allow you to take the assessment with your spouse and that will allow us to see the group dynamic. So what I'm going to be doing probably tomorrow is sending out another group email that has that link and has that number. It's, as I've said, not the most friendly site. It's a little confusing. Mm -hmm. However, what Jimmy and I love is once you get, how many of you have gotten your reports back? You can see them. And, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Everything that it seems to lack on the front door in terms of technology, yeah. like, shows up in the assessment. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And so we want to make sure that you're doing that because it's such a powerful tool. Now, it's interesting on this idea of the role and responsibility within spirituality for couples, because I'm getting ready to talk about this on Saturday with the group. And one thing that I find of this question of women saying, well, what do if I do if my husband won't lead? I'm amazed at some of the expectations we have of what it means to be a spiritual leader, meaning, you know, if he were really a spiritual leader, we would get up every morning at 6 o'clock, and he would have out the Oswald Chambers book, and we would have a Devo. Now, if you're a guy who does that, that's awesome. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're the spiritual leader of your home. And gals, if you're expecting that, where did you get that expectation? I can't find where Jesus said, the spiritual leader of the home will buy Oswald Chambers and you'll have a Devo every morning at 6. It just isn't there. Couples really need to talk about what it means to pray together, what it means to talk about the word together. And so these expectations that we can bring to the table about what that even looks like for each of us is a very strange world. We have sort of a precious moments, Thomas Kincaid kind of a haze over what that's supposed to mean. You know, for Mike and I, some of the most spiritual moments we have are when we just sit down and really talk about what the Lord's doing in our lives and what that looks like, or the questions we have, or the confusion we have over a situation, or times that we've walked through some disbelief. And we've been able to be honest with each other about where we are spiritually. There is a time that women are told to be quiet. You want to know where it is? It's in one of Peter's letters. And he's addressing it specifically to women who are married to unbelievers. And Peter says, listen, don't try to win these guys with words. Just, just live your life beautifully for Jesus. Let that be the testimony. If you're married to someone and you feel like their spirituality isn't coming up to whatever your expectation of what it should be, just go live full out for Jesus in front of them. If you're yelling at somebody because they're not spiritual enough, do you not think they're going to miss the hypocrisy of that? So it is the one place as women that we are told to hush when it comes to commenting, coaching the spirituality of our spouses. Just go live your life full out for Jesus. So what we've done on your tables, because we want you guys to sit down and discuss, and we warned you this was coming up so you can't act nervous and all shy and awkward. 
we want y'all to take a look at the discussion questions because we want you guys to walk out of here. I love that at every table, there's probably a really interesting compilation of different ages and seasons of marriages that are represented. We have couples in here who are engaged. We have couples who are talking about getting engaged. We have couples who are currently divorced and are trying to decide if they're going to recommit. We've got people in all kinds of different stages of relationship. And we believe that around those tables, all of you will benefit from hearing the wisdom and the commentary from each other based on some of these questions. I see a table here with just three. Could you guys turn and go to the table right behind you so you guys have a little bit fuller experience? And I think everybody else has a pretty good full table, right? All right, we're going to turn on a little light jazz, right, Dr. Myers? Yeah. And we're going to let y'all talk and confab over those questions. Introduce yourselves. Or do you have any Jay-Z back there? Any Jay-Z? Any Beyonce? Nothing. Nothing? Okay. All right. (laughs) 